Are you an Amazon shopper like Patra and I? Do you love Off Air with Emily and Patra? When you're ready to search the depths of Amazon, visit us at offairwithep.com first. Click on the Amazon ad and continue shopping like normal. This helps keep Off Air with Emily and Patra going strong. We receive a small percentage of any purchases you make through our affiliate link, but it's literally zero extra costs to you. Psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. back of my throat and I can feel it. Ooh, a cat hair and it's so fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like wispy. Let's stick my finger down my throat. Let me open up. Let me go in there. <coughs> let me see what I can see. <sighs> when I was pregnant, I would always ask um, the kid's dad to put his eyeball up there and see if he could see anything. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. UPS is here. You think it's the golf balls I ordered yeah. uh, three hours ago? Yes. Fuck yeah. It's definitely the golf balls you ordered three hours the ago. The customizable golf balls that I ordered. Ugh. Fuck. <laughs> That's like one Get it. Sparkling water. Oh, I love that. Oh, that was gross. I'm going to eat crackers today. Sparkling water makes my burps like really like airy. Yeah. Like I normally when you burp, it's like... Substantial. I'm not gonna say chunky, but it's like chunky yeah. but with air. Yeah. But sparkling water ones, it's like I'm gonna <sighs> throw this stuff away. <sighs> <laughs> oh good lord have mercy. Oh, UPS didn't even come here. What well Rude. fuck him. Oh <laughs> just kidding, guys. <laughs> okay. Um do you have any update? Well, I don't know that I have an Update per se, frick, can I stop putting in old passwords? Probably not. But I saw this story, and I haven't even gotten to read it yet because Mm -hmm. our lives are a mess. Um, Let me just make a whole bunch of noise while I look it up. Okay. That's cool with me. Do you want to say what you did this weekend, this last weekend, and how much fun it was? I don't know. What'd you do? Um, You went... Nothing. I'll let you say it. It was Easter weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. Wasn't that this past weekend? Yeah. 420. Yeah. So I went up and saw my mom. Mm Mm-hmm. And. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to, just trying to think. (laughs) Yeah. So we went up, saw my mom. Christopher came with me. We had Easter dinner, lunch, dinner. Easter dinner mm-hmm. on Saturday, mm. which was good. And then just kind of hung out. And I love eating at that time of day, late afternoon. I do too. Mm-hmm. Hung out and, well, it was like one-ish. So it was like, you know, it was mm. to our time because they're an hour behind. So it was like a late lunch. Oh, yeah. Me. And then we, I didn't, so I'm like trying this new diet thing and like trying to just watch what I eat and all that stuff. So yeah. I, didn't eat like a whole bunch of bad stuff. So good all the you. good stuff by the time dinner rolled around, I was like, I'm starving. <laughs> and so we we did go to church Saturday night and that was fine. And then we went to a place called Jalapenos in Merrillville Crown Point area. That totally and piqued my interest. Did you see my mm-hmm. head like jerk over? I'm so sorry. Yeah, we go there pretty much like pretty much every time I go visit, we go to Jalapenos because the waiter there, his name is Felipe. And he, we get him every time. Oh, my God. And he's like, he recognizes mom and Dominic. He knows what they're going to order. Like, they're regulars. Oh, my gosh. So I was like, well, let's go there. So I got some fajitas, and it was a good time. And then mm, we went. Fajitas sounds so good. Yeah. Christopher went and visited his brother who goes to school at Valpo. Um, and they went and played basketball that night. So he didn't get home till late. And then we were just hanging out. And then Sunday... We got up, and then we went to Indiana Dunes mm-hmm. and went on a little beach walk, nice, which was beautiful and great and fun. And then we went back, had a quick lunch, and then Christopher and I came home, and I chilled the rest of the evening. That's cool. He went over and saw his parents, and I was like, I'm real tired. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I've got, got to do the, I've got to do laundry. Mm-hmm. I've got to clean up. I was like, I, I can't eat what she's going to make for dinner, so... 
No. Right. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. So that's what I did this past that's weekend. That's cool. Well, you know. Yeah. Easter weekend. Um, <clears throat> On Saturday, I don't really do Easter, but I did buy my kids some candy. Nice. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday night, I went to the White Rabbit Cabaret in Indy yeah. and saw Brian Posehn. And we, you know, like I don't, I'd never been there before. And you get so close to the stage in that like little row of chairs they sit up front. Mm-hmm. Like our feet were on the stage. That's it was so cool, insane. And then I had to pee immediately afterwards. And it was funny. It was great. We loved it. Like one of our yeah. faves. And um, I like it. Like I had a drink when we started. So, like, two hours, I had to pee, like, when the show started. Two hours later, it's over, and I'm, like, dying to take a piss. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I got to pee. We go to the bathroom really quick. And um, uh, Joe, my date, mm-hmm. was waiting for me outside and, like, got moved back to go meet him. So I saw his shoes, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and I had already stolen a poster from the bathroom because I'm just that type of girl. Yeah. And we got to meet him and get his autograph and all that. And it was super fun. That's so cool. Ah, it was a good weekend, and my race got canceled, which I was super fucking pumped about because it was cold and rainy. It's supposed to be cold and rainy again this weekend, though. Mm. It'll be fine. Um, I'll suck it up. Where is the White Rabbit Cabaret at? Fountain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That would be why I didn't know where it was. (laughs) I don't know anything that's (laughs) over there. It's right across from, we ate at this bar, I don't remember the name of it. Mm -hmm. It was a heavy metal burger place cool and it literally only had like burgers and like chicken tenders the only it was thing good. that i know nice the yeah. only that means they're real good they mean it they tenders. mean it the only place that i know that's over there is tappers the arcade bar oh yeah christopher and i go there every once in a while that's cool mm-hmm. it was a good time we had fun and yeah and that article it was a sad story so i'm not gonna say it doesn't it's nothing but it was um not related to us. So oh, yeah. I thought it was more local than it was, and it I was mistaken. <laughs> How dare you? Die here or I don't care. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I care. Why do I feel like it's like two in the afternoon? I am exhausted it's and only, starving. Yeah, it's only 1130. I don't know. Hmm. I feel like I've gotten a lot done already today, yeah, though. But I just it. have so much to do. Also that, too. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. Like later in the afternoon. It's only 11.30. Hmm. I wonder if I, I need to see what my um, pickup situation is with the children. Pickup situation. Yeah. I have no idea, though. I'm going to look at our social media, see if anybody. If anybody likes us. Rated. We now have nine ratings on iTunes. Oh, fuck. Still the same amount of reviews, but that's okay. That's all right. We still love you, everybody. Absolutely. Sometimes I want to give like a five-star review and not say anything. Yeah. Is that possible? No. Yeah. See, like on Facebook, I don't think it's possible anymore. You have to like say something. Yeah. I hate it. Um, If you aren't following us on Facebook, make sure you are. It's Off Air with EP or just search Off Air with Emily and Patra. Um, We posted a... I posted a post the other day of, like, I wanted to know top three things that you like that other people, or that you hate that other people like. Mm. And we got a lot of interactions, some arguments going, and it was really fun. I liked fun. it. So make sure you're following us on Facebook because we post some fun stuff on there, too. So. Yeah, we just like to screw around, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a page for us to post our memes that we're not allowed to post on our work page. That's literally <laughs> it. They're just a little too spicy for mm-hmm. our work page. And yeah, that's all. Yep, that's all. We like you. That's all. Absolutely. Sensational. Right. Sensational. Okay, whose turn? It's my turn. I thought so. I am so excited about today's case. Okay. Like, th- this is the most research. Besides the staircase, this is the most research I've done so far. I actually, like... Drafted all of these words. I saw you like writing. Yeah. Like I was crazy. actually like actually writing, writing. Um, a lot of it came from Murderpedia though. But, That's okay. You know, it's fine. We have to get our info from somewhere. So I've got like a lot of story and then I've got some like extra stuff at the end, but we'll just go. We'll just do it. Okay. Oh my goodness. I forgot to call the Humane Society. I am the world's worst. It's late. It's too late. It's 1130. I'll call them after. 
Can I just say I love mine this week, too? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can. Okay, you, good. You can say whatever you want. About to eat my crackers. Mm, do I have peanut butter on my face? Nope. Okay. You and listen to my BFF tell me about murder, and I love that. <laughs> Yay, me. All right. So, lots of good in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Making sure we're still recording. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> John Herbert Dillinger. What? Yes. Was born on June 22nd, 1903 in Indianapolis, Indiana, to John Wilson Dillinger and Mary Ellen Lancaster. From birth to 16, John lived on Cooper Street in Indy. Um, it's northwest of downtown Indy, just off of I-70, if you're familiar with the area. Mm. The house is no longer there. It looks like a vacant lot. Have you been there to see it? No, but mm. now I want to drive by. Yeah. Um... Another side note, I did as best as I could at matching timelines and dates and numbers. Right. So there's a lot of specific things in here. Some of them may not be 100% accurate. So if you know something, obviously tell me, but whatever. Okay. At the age of three, John's mother developed serious health problems. She suffered from a stroke and then died after having surgery. That same year, John's older sister, Audrey, married Emmett Fred Hancock, and, and they had several children together. Audrey cared for John until 1912 when John's father got remarried to Elizabeth Fields of Mooresville. John was five at the time. Two years later, John's half-brother Hubert was born, followed by a half-sister named Doris two years after that. And six years after Doris was born, when John was 19, his half-sister Frances was born. As a teen, Dillinger was frequently getting into trouble with the law for fighting and petty theft and was also noted, and was also noted for his bewildering personality and bullying smaller children. Hmm. He quit school to work at an Indianapolis machine shop. He worked really hard and also stayed out all night to party. Yeah, boy. <laughs> work hard, play hard. LOL, John Dillinger. Sorry. <laughs> Fearing that the city was corrupting his son, Dillinger's father purchased a 67-acre farmhouse just off Oof. of, yeah, I want that. I know. Off of Highway 267 in Mooresville around 1920. John's behavior carried on and his relationship with his father deteriorated. On July 24th, 1923, John Dillinger joined the U.S. Navy and was listed as a fireman third class. He was stationed on the USS Utah, scheduled to ship out three weeks later. I did not know that part. Okay. I didn't either. After being reported for going AWOL after being docked in Boston, Dillinger deserted the Navy on December 4th, 1923 and was dishonorably discharged. He returned to Mooresville and joined the Athletics, a Martinsville baseball team, where he was, it was either Martinsville or Mooresville, I think it's Martinsville, hmm. um, where he was noted as a good second baseman and a shortstop. Uh, during this time, at the age of 20, he met and courted 17-year-old Beryl Ethel Hovius. Beryl? Yeah. Get it, baby. <laughs> Four months later, they got married. On September 6, 1924, John Dillinger and his friend Ed Singleton got drunk and attempted to rob Mooresville grocer Frank Morgan. Unsuccessful, Deputy Sheriff John M. Hayworth and Marshal Greason arrest Dillinger on all charges, or, excuse me, on charges to, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a mess, on charges to, of conspiracy to commit a felony and assault with intent to rob. It takes eight days for Dillinger to admit to his crime and only because his father convinced him to tell the truth. The day after Dillinger's confession, he was taken to the courthouse for his trial. It lasted a whole five minutes, and with, low, and with no legal counsel present, Dillinger was sentenced to 2 to 14 years on the charge of conspiracy to commit a felony and 10 to 20 years on the charge of an assault with intent to rob. Dang. He was sent to Pendleton, Indiana State Reformatory. On June 20th, 1929, Beryl divorces Dillinger because she believes he won't ever get out of jail. A month later, like... You just divorce him because he's not going to get out of jail. Not because he robbed right, and right. tried to beat this guy up. Like, well, if you can't get out of it, then I'm out. <laughs> That's me. Hardcore. Yeah. A month later, Dillinger is transferred to Indiana State Penitentiary in Michigan City. After being admitted to the prison, he's quoted as saying, quote, I will be the meanest bastard you ever saw when I get out of here. Oh, shit. Uh, side note, he also had gonorrhea when he was admitted to the prison, and his treatment was extremely painful. Get it. <laughs> <laughs> While in prison, Dillinger befriended other criminals, including seasoned bank robbers. The men planned heists to commit when they were released. Dillinger studied Herman Lamb's meticulous bank robbing system and used it extensively throughout his criminal career. 
Dillinger's father launched a petition to have him released from prison in Mooresville and was able to get 188 signatures on the petition. Just over a month after Dillinger's release, in the height of the Great Depression, he and William Shaw attempt to rob the Marshall Field Thread Mill in Monticello, Indiana. Five days later, they rob a sandwich shop on East 28th Street in Indianapolis. At some point in time, I, there was never a good, uh, like a solid date on this. Mm-hmm. He robbed the New Carlisle National Bank in New Carlisle, Ohio, taking $10,000, which is about 195000 in today's money. Frick. There is a lot of money things in here, so I'm going to compare them like all. I like that. On July. Dang. Yeah. On July 17th, 1933, Dillinger, along with Harry Copeland and Hilton Crouch, robbed the commercial bank of Daleville, and they escaped with uh, $3,500 in cash, which is $68,000. Two. That's like a lot. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. Seriously. On August 4th, 1933, they robbed First National Bank in Montpelier. Montpelier? Yep, that's it. Montpelier, Indiana. An escape was $6,700 cash, which is $131,000 today. Mm. Ten days later, they crossed state lines and robbed Citizens National Bank in Bluffton, Ohio. An escape was $6,000, the equivalent to $117,000. On September 6th, they hit up Massachusetts Avenue State Bank in Indianapolis and get away with their largest amount yet, $24,000, which is almost $500,000. Damn! So, so far, in a span of just 51 days, just over a month and a half, the Dillinger gang steals around... $50,000 $50,000 then, which is almost a million dollars in today's mm. money. Just over a month and a half. Dang! On September 22nd, 1933, Dillinger is captured in Dayton, Ohio. He was transferred to the Allen County Jail in Lima to be indicted on in connection to the Bluffton robbery. After searching him before being allowed into the prison, police found a map of the Indiana State Penitentiary, the one that he was in in Michigan City. Mm. Police demanded he explain the document, convinced that it was a prison escape plan. So Dillinger had helped conceive a plan for the escape of eight men he had previously met while in prison. Most of them worked in the prison laundry and smuggled guns into their prison cells, and the men escaped four days after Dillinger was captured. The group of men is known as the First Dillinger Gang. It consisted of Pete Pierpont, Russell Clark, Charles Mackley, Ed Schuess, Harry Copeland, and John Red Hamilton a member of the Herman Lamb gang. Uh, The day that they escaped is also the same day that Machine Gun Kelly was apprehended in Memphis. Damn. Yeah. Pierpont, Clark, and Mackley arrived. There's also a lot of names in here, too. Yeah, let's hear it. (laughs) Pierpont, Clark, and Mackley arrived in Lima on October 12th. They impersonated Indiana State police officers claiming that they had came to extradite Dillinger to Indiana. When the sheriff, Jesse Sarber, asked for their credentials, Pierpont shot him dead and then released Dillinger from his cell. The four men escaped back to Indiana where they joined the rest of the Dillinger gang. Girl. Mm Mm-hmm. On October 14th, 1933, Dillinger, Pierpont, and others robbed the Auburn, Indiana Police Department of their arsenal. They take three bulletproof... Bulletproof? (laughs) Three bulletproof vests, one Colt 45, two 38 pistols... 144 Smith & Wesson, 145 Smith & Wesson, a German Luger, a Thompson machine gun, 130 caliber rifle, a shotgun, and over 1,200 rounds of ammo. Okay, so you just decide you're going to rob the police station of their guns. Yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Six days later, Dillinger, Pierpont, and Mackley robbed the Peru, Indiana Police Department of their I arsenal. mean, this is some big dick energy right now. Seriously. Oh my God. Seriously. They take two Thompson machine guns, six bulletproof vests, two sawed-off shotguns, four thirty-eight police specials, and two thirty thirty Winchesters. On October 23rd, the Dillinger gang robbed Central National Bank in Greencastle, Indiana. They escaped with $74,728, which is almost $1.5 million. Fuck. Yeah. On the same day, Babyface Nilsson robs the first National Bank of Brainerd, Minnesota, with 32000 of $32,000. Of $32,000 with Tommy Carroll, Homer Van Meter, John Paul Chase, and Charles Fisher. Homer Van Meter, uh, no, let's ignore that part. Uh, this would be a prominent factor in later East Chicago bank robberies, according to Pierpont's girlfriend, Mary Kinder. That's, no. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a Taylor Swift <laughs> update. Don't you even worry about yeah. it. Just making sure it's not an actual work update. 
On the 26th, the governor of Indiana calls on the National Guard armored cars with mounted machine guns on 24-hour duty in Indianapolis. So obviously, he's a little scared. (laughs) (laughs) On November 15th, Dillinger goes to Dr. Charles I. in Chicago after catching ringworms during his stay at the Lima Jail. Goodness. Police informant Arthur, no, Arthur, that's just a typo. Police Mm -hmm. informant Arthur McGinnis contacts the police. Shots are fired and Dillinger escapes unscathed. On uh, November 20th, the, the Dillinger gang robs American Bank and Trust Company in Racine, Wisconsin, and they get away with $27,000, just over $500,000 in today's money. Sergeant Wilbur Hansen and cashier H.J. Graham were wounded. Some gang stuff goes down. Oh, shit. <laughs> and um, just a lot of shooting and mm. all that nonsense. Um, in December, dur- okay, during that time, Detective H.C. Pirro was killed in Texas by one of the members, and Sergeant William T. Shanley was killed in Illinois. In December of 1933, Dillinger and his girlfriend, his now-girlfriend, Evelyn Billy Frechette, drive to Dayton Beach, Florida, where they meet up with Russell Clark, Opal Long, Harry Pierpont, and Mary Kinder. Uh, Mackley and Homer Van Meter arrive in Daytona, and on Christmas Day, Dillinger sends Billy back to to the Neopit, Wisconsin Indian Reservation with his car, a diamond ring, thousands of dollars in cash, just so she could go file for a divorce from her husband. Wow. He was also in prison and <laughs> spend the rest of Christmas Day with her family. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, in typical New Year's Day gang member fashion, the Dillinger gang blasts their machine guns in the air on Daytona Beach to celebrate the new year. Yeah. <laughs> During the month of January 1934, <laughs> Billy divorces her husband, an inmate in prison at a prison in Kansas. Pierpont and Pierpont's girlfriend leave for Tucson, Arizona. Up in Chicago, part of the Dillinger gang robs First National Bank in East Chicago, Indiana, killing Officer William Patrick Patrick O'Malley. O'Malley managed to shoot Hamilton in his right hand and four times in his groin. Hamilton ended up losing two fingers, earning the nickname Three Finger Jack. Dillinger is later blamed for this murder, even though he was 300 miles away attending an auto show in St. Louis. The gang managed to to take $20,000, about $400,000. On January 25th, Clark, Pierpont, and Mackley are all arrested in multiple areas of Arizona. Dillinger and Billy are arrested at the North Avenue residence where Clark was captured. The next day, the Dillinger gang appeared before the Justice, before the Justice of Peace, C.V. Budlong, at the Pima County Courthouse. Bond was set at $100,000, which is just under $2 million. I was going to say, that's insane. Yeah. For Dillinger and the gang members, Billy's bond was only at $5,000, which is about $10,000. For those of you not keeping track, (laughs) we're up to uh, $171,728 stolen, which is is just over 3.3. No, it's almost $3.4 million today. Wow, dude. That they have stolen. Um, On January 29th, Dillinger was forcefully taken by officers and flown on American Airlines to Douglas, Arizona, then to Dallas, Fort Worth, Little Rock, Memphis, and St. Louis before touching down at the Midway Airport in Chicago. I don't know why they took him all over the country, but Mm. maybe they were trying to, like, if somebody was following him. Mm. Trying to lose the scent. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) I always feel like I have to talk like an idiot when we're doing, like, older ones. Yeah. I'm like... (laughs) You have to talk old-timey. Yeah. Um, On January 30th, a 13-car motorcade with 180 armed guards takes Dillinger to Crown Point, Indiana. My mom lives there. Oh, my God. He arrives at the Lake County Jail at 7.40 p.m. and is greeted by hundreds of spectators and the press. Uh, This is the old jail, the one that I mentioned going driving by, that Ghost Hunters did an investigation in in Season 11, Episode 7. Just oh, my reference. gosh. I looked it up. <laughs> I didn't know that off the top <laughs> of my head. I was like, head. wow. <laughs> um, on February 5th, Dillinger has his preliminary hearing at the Lake County Court before Judge William J. Murray. He was shackled, and there were no less than 50 armed guards present. Dillinger was represented by Joseph Ryan, a lawyer paid, bar- paid for by Dillinger's father, but Dillinger demanded to see attorney Louis Piquette as his defense lawyer. Four days later, he was arraigned, and his trial was set for March 12th. On March 3rd, Dillinger and inmate Herbert Youngblood escaped from the Crown Point Jail armed with a wooden gun. Dillinger stole Sheriff Lillian Holly's police car speeding toward Chicago. 
On March 5th, Sheriff Holly's car was located in Chicago, making Dillinger a wanted FBI criminal for driving a stolen car across state lines, which violates the Dyer Act. It's a federal offense. Hence the FBI. Hmm. On March 6th, Dillinger and the gang, including Babyface Nilsson, robbed the Security National Bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, while escaping with just under $50,000, which is 96 967. Why do they keep stealing money? Do they just like it? Have they not gotten enough money yet? Yeah, I don't know if it's for the money or if it's just for the thrill of it. Yeah. I'm assuming it's probably just for the thrill. Yeah, they're just into it at this point. Yeah. Um, And injured, they also injured motorcycle policeman Hale Keith. A day later, the FBI officially announced their involvement with the Dillinger case. On March 13th in Mason City, Iowa, the Dillinger gang robs First National Bank, taking $52,000, which is just over $1 million. Dillinger and Hamilton were wounded slightly, and James was uh, hit. It said hit in his leg. I'm assuming he was shot in his mm-hmm. leg. Uh, gang member Herbert Youngblood was shot and killed on March 14th in Port Huron, Michigan, along with Deputy Sheriff Charles Cavanaugh. Dillinger and Billy moved to the Lincoln Court Apartments in St. Paul, Minnesota on March 20th, 1934, under the aliases of Mr. and Mrs. Carl T. Hellman. Four days later, Pierpont and Mackley are sentenced to death for the murder of Jesse Sarber and are due to die via the electric chair on June 13th. On March 31st, suspicious neighbors notify the FBI and agents, along with the St. Paul detective. To, um, on March 31st, suspicious neighbors notify the FBI... And agents, along with the St. Paul detective, investigate the Lincoln Court Apartments. Van Meter was posting as a soap salesman when he fired (laughs) shots at the agents and then escaped on a coal truck. Dillinger heard the shots and then escaped after getting wounded in his left calf. He and Billy... Ooh, the calf. That sounds miserable. He and Billy escaped to Eddie Green's apartment. Uh, Another member. Mm -hmm. Green takes Dillinger... That's why they need to keep stealing. There's too many damn members. Yeah. (laughs) Green takes Dillinger to see Dr. Clayton E. May in Minneapolis to treat Dillinger's leg. He stays with Dr. May and his nurse until April 4th. During a nationwide manhunt, Dillinger and Billy flee back to Mooresville, Indiana to to visit Dillinger's father. They arrive in Mooresville on the 5th, despite Billy's attempts to talk Dillinger out of going back. Dillinger tells her, now Billy, who's smarter than me? Who's smarter, me or the cops? Oof. This is obviously where all criminals fuck up and they get cocky. Right? (laughs) On April 8th, Dillinger attends a family reunion in Mooresville while the farm is under surveillance by the state police. Newspapers go crazy when the FBI claims that they're actually hot on Dillinger's trail. On the 9th, Billy is arrested in a Chicago tavern while Dillinger watches from across the street. Um, I put, I have a note, like, I can picture him, like, literally looking like a movie gangster. Right. Like, his head hung and he's, like, just watching. I love that. Uh, Dillinger was at a loss when Billy got arrested. Gang members tried to talk Dillinger out of rescuing her, but Van Meter knew where they could find more bulletproof vests. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Dillinger and Van Meter... Got a lead on some vests. Yeah. <laughs> so Dillinger and Van Meter take Warsaw, Indiana, police officer Jud- Judd Pittinger hostage. They take him at gunpoint to the police station where they take two pistols and several bulletproof vests. On April 20th, the Dillinger gang arrives at Little Bohemia Lodge in, is it Manitowish? Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. To take a vacation from their exhausting jobs. My God. As being fucking criminals. <laughs> I mean, it is hard work. Mm-hmm. I guess. I stole something this weekend. I stole a coaster and a poster. So it's hard work. You are, you're like the rhyme thief. I've been shot in the leg. <laughs> I don't know. Two days later, Mrs. Emil Wanatka, the wife of the lodge owner, tips off the FBI and they surround the lodge. The Dillinger gang escapes unscathed. So there's like this entire group of gangster guys and they all get out. How? Um, They never fire a shot except for Babyface Nelson. He's like, yeah, let's fuck these people up. Sorry, that was rude. So, <laughs> bystanders John Hoffman and John Morris were shot and wounded by the FBI in an attempt to get the gangsters. Agents J.C. Newman and Carl <laughs> C. Christensen were shot and wounded by Babyface Nilsson. Bystander Eugene Boisnam was shot and killed by the FBI. And Agent W. Carter Baum was shot and killed by Babyface Nilsson. Do we have to sign for the water? No. Okay. He's just standing at the desk. Did he move? Oh, Amanda's there. Oh, okay. 
No. Yeah, we don't have to. I was to. like, have I lost it? <laughs> um, on April 23rd, attempting to drive to St. Paul, gang member John Hamilton is fatally wounded in the back of the vehicle as Dillinger and Van Meter battle with the police. Dillinger contacted Doc Moran, a underworld doctor who had treated the Barker Carpus gang, but he refused to help, causing Hamilton to face his death on April 27th in Aurora, Illinois. Uh. Ooh. On May 2nd, 1934, the most talked about blood-stained getaway car is found abandoned in Chicago. On May 15th, Billy's trial begins in St. Paul, along with Dr. Clayton May and his nurse, Augusta Salt. Uh, on May 23rd, Billy and Dr. May were found guilty of, conspir- of conspiring to harbor John Dillinger. Nurse Salt was released and her charges were dropped. Billy was sentenced to two years at the Women's Federal Prison in Milan, Michigan, and Dr. May was sentenced to two years at Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. Uh, this is the same day that Bonnie and Clyde were killed in Louisiana. Oh, my God. I was just thinking about Bonnie and Clyde, that movie that we that you told me to watch. Yeah. I watched it, yeah. Was it not so it good? It was really good, <sighs> yeah. I want to watch it again. Oh, my gosh. Um, on May 24th, two East Chicago officers, Martin O'Brien and Lloyd Mul- Mulvihill, are killed by mobsters. The Dillinger gang is blamed, but the M.O. doesn't fit the Dillinger gang's style. On May 27th, Dillinger moves into the home of James Probasco in Chicago. The next day, Dr. Wilhelm Lozer and his assistant, Harold Cassidy, begin plastic surgery on Dillinger at the Probasco home. Lozer later testifies, quote, I, I asked him what he wanted done. He wanted two moles removed on the right lower forehead between the eyes and one at the left angle, outer angle of the eye. I wanted, he wanted a depression of, he wanted the depression of his nose filled in, a scar, a large one to the left of the median line of the upper lip excised, wanted his dimples removed, and wanted the angle of the mouth drawn up. Lozer uh, also later removed Dillinger's fingerprints with boric acid. Oh, my God. Yeah. Three Oof. days later, Dillinger's bandages were removed to reveal a new face. While trying out his new face, Dillinger meets Polly Hamilton at the Barrel of Fun Club in Chicago. I want to go to the Barrel of Fun Club. <laughs> Polly was a teenage runaway from Fargo, North Dakota. She met Anna Kupanyas Chiolak, Anna Sage, ah! in Gary, Indiana, and worked periodically as a prostitute in Anna's brothel until marrying a Gary police officer in 1929. They later divorced in 1933. On the 3rd of June, Dr. Lozer begins plastic surgery on Van Meter. On June 23rd, Dillinger and Polly celebrate Dillinger's 31st birthday at the, which, like, that was like, oh, he's, like, real young. I know. You just said that, and I was like, dang. Yeah. Yeah. They celebrate his 31st birthday at the French Casino nightclub in Chicago. Uh, The FBI, the the article I was reading presented it funny, so I had to, I copied it. Mm -hmm. It says, the FBI sends a birthday present to Dillinger, and on this day, Dillinger is the first criminal in history to be named public enemy number one on the FBI's most wanted list. So, like, happy birthday. You're it, dude. The next night. I kind of love that. I do, too. The next night, Dillinger and Polly return to that same nightclub to celebrate her birthday. On June 30th, Dillinger robbed the Merchants National Bank in South Bend, Indiana, of $30,000 with Van Meter, Babyface Nelson, and John Paul Chase. Van Meter was wounded. Delos M. Cohen, Cashier Paris G. Staley, VP Jacob Solomon, and bystander Samuel Toth were also wounded. Officer Howard Wagner was killed. Um, on July 10th, Dillinger, Polly, Van Meter, and his girlfriend, Marie Comfort, Come 40, all attend the World's Fair together. Dillinger meets with Arthur O'Leary in Chicago the next day to help Billy gain her freedom. After mm. making a deal with the feds to help keep her from being deported, Anna Sage called Agent Melvin Purvis to inform her that she, Dillinger, and Polly will either attend the Biograph Theater or the Marlboro, Marlboro Theater. Okay. He, she informed him that she would be wearing a red-orange dress. So they would know it was her. I think it's red. She's called the lady in red. But in the one article I read, it said she was wearing an orange dress. So it's like one of those. So what's that? Vermilion? Is that the color? Sure. What's the orangey yeah, red color? Like, yeah. I have some lipstick like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never going to wear it, though. Um, <laughs> never going to wear it. <laughs> um, so the FBI set a trap. On the night of July 22nd, 1934, around 8.30, Dillinger, Polly, and Anna all arrive at the Biograph Theater 
to see the crime drama Manhattan Melodrama starring Clark Gable, Myrna Loy, and William Powell. I love that they're just like celebrating birthdays, going to yeah, the movies. Just they're like, life it's cool. Why, we need this money so we can like ball out. Yeah. <laughs> they enter the theater while 22 federal agents and five East Chicago officers surround the area. Mm. Um, that same article on Murderpedia said that, quote, they surrounded the area so tight a gnat couldn't escape the net. Ooh, <laughs> tight. <laughs> At 10.35, Dillinger exits the theater, a woman on each arm. Oh, God. This guy. Yeah. I want to be him. I mean. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To signal Dillinger's exit, Purvis stood by the front door and lit a cigar. Both he and the other other agents reported that Dillinger turned his head and looked directly at Purvis as he walked by, glanced at the street, and moved ahead of the ladies reaching into his pocket. Failing to pull out his gun, he ran into a nearby alley. Agents had already closed the alley off, and Dillinger was determined to shoot it out. Three men followed Dillinger into the alley and fired. Clarence Hurt shot twice, Charles Winstead shot three times, and Herman Hollis shot once. Dillinger was hit from behind and fell face first to the ground. John Dillinger was shot four times with two bullets grazing him and one causing the superficial wound to his right side. The fourth bullet was the fatal bullet, entering through the back of his neck, severing his spinal cord, passing through his brain, and exiting just under his right eye, severing two sets of veins and arteries. Shoo. Dillinger was officially pronounced dead at Alexian Brothers Hospital, and according to investigators, he died without ever saying a word. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Dillinger's death was... I mentioned Bonnie and Clyde's death earlier. Yeah. Dillinger's death was only two months after theirs. Oh, my gosh. So, like, I mean, all this stuff is going on in the country, but then it's getting taken care of. Can you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine just being a citizen at this time? Yeah. Insanity. There were reports of people dipping their handkerchiefs and skirts into the pool of blood that had formed as Dillinger lay in the alley as keepsakes. Gross. <laughs> Dillinger's- he had diseases, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Dillinger's body was available for public display at the Cook County morgue. An estimated 15,000 people viewed his body over a day and a half, and as many as four death masks were also made. Okay, so I need to show you something. Okay, a death mask? Yes. All Hold right. On. Hold, please. I meant to have these pulled up prior to this conversation. Okay, I'm going to show you this first because I just mentioned it. So this is is John Dillinger's death mask, like his actual one. Oh, okay. Nice stash. Yeah, right. That's so weird. This is a picture of the Thompson submachine gun. Yeah, okay. This one is a um, modified Thompson submachine gun. Um, that it was modified like this by John Dillinger and Babyface Nelson. Oh, that's totally weird looking. Yeah. They just modified it to add more rounds. Yeah. Um, this is Don Dillinger, John Dillinger's payroll record when he was working at um, an Indianapolis power company. Oh, got laid off. Yeah. <laughs> I spelled um, laid wrong. Did they? I think they spelled it L-A-Y-E-D. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then this is his his shaving brush, a pen knife, and a homemade file of his. That's cool, right? That's mm-hmm. neat to see. There's one more thing I need to show you, but I gotta I gotta go down a little bit. I'm take your time. The in I think it was in Pigeon Forge in Tennessee. They have a place called Alcatraz East. Mm-hmm. And it's like a crime museum. Okay. And so they've got all this stuff in there. This is the renovated, let me see, renovated 1933 Essex Terraplane, the car that um, he and Billy escaped from in St. Paul after he got shot in the leg. But that was there. Like, that's the car. It's just been renovated. That's neat. Is that not so cool? That's cool. So, it's called Alcatraz East, and it's a crime museum. And that's, I showed you a couple weeks ago the picture of Casey Anthony's Mm -hmm. um, daughter's items. Yeah. Kaylee Anthony. um, That was at the same place. So, if you're ever in Pigeon Forge, go there, because it was really cool. Okay. I feel like I've, 
The room that that car was in looked familiar, and I've definitely done, like, tours around Pigeon Forge. Like, oh, go yeah. through, look through this thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, okay. On July 24th, Dillinger's body was returned to Mooresville. It was put on an exhibition at intervals during the evening to satisfy the curiosity of the crowd. The next day at 2 p.m., funeral services were held at Dillinger's sister's, uh, sister Audrey's home in Maywood. Dillinger's gravestone has been replaced several times because of vandalism by people mm. chipping off pieces as souvenirs. From September 1933 until July 1934, the Dillinger gang terrorized the Midwest, killing 10 men, wounding seven others, robbing banks and police arsenals, and staging three jailbreaks, killing a sheriff during one and wounding two guards in another. They stole between $270,000 and $300,000 that then, which is 4 to $5 million today. Golly! Yes. In what amount of time? I'm sorry. Did you just say that? Um, it'd be like eight months ish. Lucrative. Yeah. Um. So there's some legends that I tell mommy talk about. Several witnesses claim that the man who was shot had brown eyes, as does the coroner's report. But Dillinger's eyes were distinctly gray. <gasps> oh, um, he had gray eyes. Mm. Do we have like a real life picture of him? There's Is a- it not? Is it too old? Or? It's too old that it's not in color. Mm. So you can't really tell. Mm. Um, the body had signs of rheumat- rheumatic heart disease that Dillinger was never known to have. Uh, the body might have also shown, shown signs of a childhood illness that was not recorded in Dillinger's early medical files. The, in 1963, the Indianapolis Star received a letter from a sender claiming to be John Dillinger. A similar letter was also sent to the Little Bohemia Lodge. And the gun on display for years at the FBI headquarters that was allegedly used by Dillinger against FBI agents outside the Biograph Theater on the day of his death was not his and was recently proven to be to have been manufactured years after his death. Whoa. The original gun was missing for several years, but recently turned up in the FBI's collection, which I have the article that the Indy Star wrote in March 2004. Um, it says... And this is pulled straight from the article. Mm-hmm. A Thompson submachine gun that Don Jill- that Don Dillinger, <laughs> that John Dillinger's gang stole from a northeastern Indiana police station more than 80 years ago has been returned finally and will go on display. The FBI returned the gun during a ceremony Thursday at the De- at the DeKalb County Courthouse in Auburn, about 20 miles north of Fort Wayne. The gun was stolen on October 14, 1933, along with bulletproof vests, ammunition, and several other firearms. Police in Tucson, Arizona, recovered the 45 caliber submachine gun in January of 1934 following a bloody shootout with the Dillinger gang. Tucson police held the gun as evidence at its department headquarters until 1966 when it was transferred to the FBI's custody. The gun was featured in the gangster tour route display at the FBI's Hoover Building in Washington, D.C. until 2002. The weapon was then placed in what the Auburn Police Department has been told as a private VIP-type display featuring artifacts related to Dillinger and other gangsters. Police Chief Martin D. McCoy said the department is making plans to preserve and display the historic gun for all to enjoy when visiting Auburn and sharing in its diverse small-town history. McCoy said retired Auburn Police Sergeant Edward McDonald deserves special special recognition for his efforts to find the machine gun and secure its return. Unfortunately, oh, this is a quote from McCoy. Unfortunately, Sergeant McDonald passed away last year before getting the opportunity to see the Thompson return to the police department he served for so many years. Um, So in total, the listed gang members are Walter Dietrich, Russell Clark, Harry Pierpont, John Hamilton, Charles Mackley, Harry Copeland, Joseph Fox, James Clark, Joe Burns, Edward Schuess, James Jenkins, Babyface Nelson, Homer Van Meter, Eddie Green, Tommy Carroll, and of course, John Dillinger. Whoa. I also have a couple like... um, like resources mm-hmm. that I'm going to post on our website, offairthp.com. So if you really want to get into it and like look at the FBI files and there's a whole website dedicated to John Dillinger and all this stuff, I'll put, I'll put them up so you can have, so you can do it yourself. You like <laughs> this one. I really like this yeah. one. Yeah. Like, is it cause it's local? I don't and know. And like also like a, like not folklore, but cause it's real. But Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I like this one so much. I like that. But I really like. I like it. how into it you are. Yeah, it was real. It was fun. Interesting. And like I did, I started that story yesterday. Yeah. Normally, if I start a story the day before we record, it's like two and a half pages. Right. <laughs> I got a full nine pages. You and did like great storytelling out of it. It was fun. 
Um, okay. <clears throat> so mine was, I couldn't think of anyone to do, and I needed to get away from moms. Yeah. The moms were, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about the the string of moms. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I couldn't think of what to, oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> Spill my water all over this board, and I would have been fired. No, no, but but I, I would have left. Oh, <laughs> like, my heart, my heart is racing. <laughs> oh, just sizzle. Anyway, oh, it's so funny because when you had your can over there, sometimes you know you just see things in your head and you like make it happen in your head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Your hand was kind of close to your can, yeah, and I was like, knock it over. I was like, ooh, what if knock this? What if she knocks that over? Freaking right thirty ounce water bottle. Over. Would we not have to come into work in the morning? <laughs> Uh, no, we would. We'd have to sleep here if that's what ha- I don't know. <laughs> They'd make us spend more time here somehow. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I couldn't think of what to do mm-hmm. this week. And I was like, what What one should I do? So uh, my boyfriend, Joe, was like, do Ed Gein. So yes. I did. Um, I don't. Okay, so. All right, I'm just going to get started. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm excited for this one. Edward Theodore Gein was born August 27th, 1906, a Virgo, <laughs> to Jul- July, to George and Augusta in La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's like similar areas. Mm-hmm. Our stories are similar areas, similar time. Cross, yeah. cross paths. So weird. Um, there's also a farm mentioned. <laughs> He had an older brother, Henry, who was five years older. Ed's father, George, was an abusive alcoholic who worked, like, off and on. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of those. As a carpenter, a tanner, and a farmer. His mother was extremely religious and controlling. Um, Augusta was not a big fan of her lazy, drunk-ass husband. <laughs> and she did not give him a say in the boy's upbringing. Around 1915, Augusta... Moved the family to a 195-acre farm outside Plainfield, Wisconsin, to escape the sinners and immorality of the city. Okay. How weird, right? That is really weird. Yeah. Um, when you said that, I was like, ooh, connection. <laughs> You're like, I literally have that exact wording in my story. Right? Um, <laughs> Ed rarely left the farm except to go to school, and the closest neighbors were a mile away. So he was just secluded with mm-hmm. his mom and his brother and his dad. Yeah. Ed was born with a growth on his eye that caused him to have a lazy eye, and he um, he also had a lesion on his tongue that caused him to speak a little weird, so he was, like, shunned classmates, mm-hmm. especially back in, like, quote-unquote, the olden days. You can't be weird. Mm-mm. Can't have anything wrong with you. Nope. Um, Ed's dad, George, died in 1940 due to complications related to his alcoholism, um, leaving Ed and older brother Henry to work odd jobs to support the family. I saw this said, things like that, like he left them to support the family. Uh, it was 1940. Mm-hmm. He's like 34 years old. You're fine. Get a job, <laughs> homie. Yeah. Um, and his older brother must have been almost 40. <laughs> you guys are all right? Yeah. Sorry. I get worked up over that. <clears throat> <laughs> They're like, man, dad never works. Fucking 30 years old, not doing a thing. Mm -hmm. In 1944, the brothers were burning brush on the property when the fire got out of control. The fire department showed up. um, And by the end of the day, the fire had been extinguished and the firefighters had left. But Ed had reported his brother missing. With lanterns and flashlights, a search party searched for Henry, whose dead body was found lying face down. Um, he'd been dead for some time and it appears the cause of death was heart failure since he had not been burned or otherwise injured, just a dead body laid Mm. out there on the grounds. Um, the whole scene was a little weird, but the police dismissed the possibility of foul play and the county coroner later officially listed asphyxiation as the cause of death, basically because they weren't sure and they weren't going to do an autopsy and there was a fire. So he probably choked to death. It's fine. Yeah. Augusta became faint and sickly not long after Henry's death. Faint and sickly. I copied that one. (laughs) And had to be hospitalized. She suffered her first stroke. Um, Shortly following that, she had a second stroke in December of 1945, and she died of complications from that. 
Ed reacted to mom's death by boarding up her bedroom and sitting room to be preserved like a museum. And then I wrote, love you, mommy. Oh, my goodness. Ed lived in a small room next to the kitchen, and he just basically let everything other than those two rooms, like, go to hell. Like, Mm -hmm. disgusting shithole. Yeah, except for mommy's perfect bedroom. Around this time, he became interested in reading pulp magazines and adventure stories, uh, particularly particularly those involving cannibals, Mm. ritualistic cannibalism, head shrinking, or, like, Nazi atrocities. You know, light reading. Yeah. Before before bed while you're having a snack. Yeah, a little light bedroom story. Trying to wind down. 18 months after his mom died, he was super lonely and later said to be seeing, like, visions. Um, He began to visit the cemetery where she was buried. After visiting a few times, he just started digging up the bodies. Oh, no. The first body he dug up was his mom. Are you ready for what he did to it? Mm -mm. Twisting her head off with his bare hands. Then he took the head home and shrunk it like a shrunken-ass head. What? Like a shrunken head. Okay, but... First off, how... Does uh, probably it, some sort of chemical. Do we know how long it took to... To shrink that head? No, to like... like <laughs> To twist it off? No, no. I'm between, sorry, why I don't mean, I let you finish? No, you're fine. Between her being buried and him digging it up, yeah. did you say? 18 months after she okay, died. Okay, so she was like... Crusty. Gross. <laughs> not like... Pliable. <laughs> not just like... just. It'd be hard if or, I just ripped your head off if you died two days ago. But yeah, if you died, and not just like, yeah, not just a skeleton. Mm. She was gro- gross. Yeah. Okay. Also, how do you shrink a head? Oh, let's look. Like, like, how do you shrink a head? Like, did it? Like the whole thing shrunk? You know that it didn't. Like he didn't put it in a machine and zap a ray at her. Like the opposite of those things that you drop in water and they expand, <laughs> like those dinosaur pills. <laughs> you drop in the water. Like it was like the Ready? opposite. First, the skin and hair had to be separated from the skull. I don't like that. To allow them to shrink at different rates. Ew. I don't like that at all. Then the eyelids get sewn shut. <gasps> and the, So basically you just like separate it all and just like leave it and it. And then it shrivels up. Yeah. Oh, you put it in a pot. No. Boil it. Stop. Ooh. Ooh. Why would you? Oh. Why would you? I want to see a shrunken head. Let me take. Shrunken oh. head. Oh my God. Man, I hope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you just had like this smile on your face. And you just like, she literally just went like stone cold. <laughs> oh. I'm upset. You want to see? Yeah, I do want to see. Yeah. Oh. I'm sorry. Ew, Focus I don't like here. Those. This one? Yeah. This one? Ew. He's got a mustache. He looks like the dad from Shameless. Oh, my God. It's William H. Macy's shrunken yeah. head. I couldn't remember the actor's name. I they Just look because like... his wife got arrested for that whole college stuff recently. Okay, so, A, I just, one. I just don't like That's it at all. That's a real head. That's a person. Yeah, oh. I don't like it at all, but they, they look kind of like Wookiees. <laughs> Cute. I don't like it. Fun. Don't ever, anyone don't shrink ever a head. do that. Keep my head its real size. Big, <sighs> big old head. Um... <laughs> Okay, Ed supported himself as a handyman. Like, they didn't, he didn't really do, like, job jobs. So he did, like, around odd, odd jobs. jobs. He supported himself as a handyman and insanely as a babysitter. Why? I don't know. Maybe people thought he was, like, sweet and good because of the funny way he talked. Maybe. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, some residents from the general area had mysteriously disappeared over the years, including... Eight-year-old Georgia Weckler disappeared without a trace, leaving no suspects, and the only clue found was tire tracks of a Ford. Mary Hogan, who ran a tavern in nearby Pine Grove that Gein regularly frequented, uh, went missing later. Um, She was like a middle-aged woman. She looked a lot like his mom, and she had a foul mouth and a trashy history. So he was, like, (laughs) really into it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. he... She looked so much like his mom and acted so differently. So he's like, oh, fuck me up. Um, Evelyn Hartley, age 15, abducted while babysitting for family friends. Her father found signs of a struggle, including her broken eyeglasses. How horrifying. Mm. Blood stains and footprints. 
Um, her panties and bra were found two miles southeast of La Crosse and four miles further, um, a bloody pair of men's pants were found. Yikes. Her body was never found. Um, then there are a couple of guys who went missing in Plainfield. Uh, no trace of them or their car was ever found. And that's not really his MO, but they suspected him yeah. of that as well. I think probably just because he was disgusting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway. On the morning of November 16th, 1957, Plainfield hardware store owner Bernice Warden disappeared. A Plainfield resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out from the rear of the building around 9.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. The hardware store was closed the whole day. Some area residents believed that this was because of deer hunting season. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Bernice Warden's son, um, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, entered the store around 5 to find the cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. <gasps> Frank Warden told investigators that Ed had been in the store the evening before his mother's disappearance and that he would return the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. And there was a sales slip for a gallon of antifreeze that was the last receipt written by Warden on the morning she disappeared. Mm-hmm. So, like, he had been in there the night before when he overheard Ed say, hey, I'll be back. Yeah. And then there you go. Evidence. Yeah. (laughs) Evidence. On the evening of the same day, um, okay, that night, Ed was arrested. God. (laughs) The evening of the same day. Jesus. Are you trying to get your word count in? Yes. (laughs) That night, Ed was arrested at a Plainfield grocery store, and the sheriff's department searched the family farm. It was Washera County Sheriff, and I'm never saying that word again because I don't like it. Washera, I guess. Washera. Sure. Anyway. <laughs> you said I'm never saying it again, and you said it three more God! times. <laughs> oh, goodness. A sheriff's deputy discovered Warden's decapitated body in a shed on Gein's property, hung upside down by her legs with the crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. Her torso was dressed like a deer, quote, she had been shot with a 22 caliber caliber rifle, and the mutilations were done to her after her death. So they're saying, like, I heard, like, from throat to the other end. Like, you know, like, like you were re- getting a deer. Really wide open there. <clears throat> the search of the 195-acre farm would last over a week. Searching the house, authorities found. Oh, boy. Uh, I know. A whole human bones and fragments, uh, like a whole skeleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, a waste basket made of human skin. Ugh. Human skin covering several chair seats. So he, like, reupholstered some chairs with some skin. <gasps> skulls on his bedposts. No. Uh, female skulls, some with the tops of the head sawn off. Ooh. Bowls made from skulls. No. A corset made from a female torso skinned from shoulders to waist. Leggings made from human leg skin. Get you some leggings, ladies. Ugh. Wonder if LuLaRoe has those. Oh my God. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face as a mask in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag. Um, Sitting on his pop, sitting on the floor in front of his pot-bellied stove. Nine vulvas in a shoebox. What? A young girl's dress and two of the vulvas were a young girl's dress and two more vulvas of females judged to have been about the age of fifteen years old. No, I don't like it. A belt made from female human nipples. Kind of want that. <gasps> Right? Four noses. Oh, my God. A pair of... Okay, this one kind of tickles me. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. (laughs) So imagine if, like, your ceiling fan drawstring just had some lips. lips Just grab it. Hey, Hmm. can you switch that fan on for me? Surprise. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Oh. And fingernails from female fingers. Uh Uh-uh. When questioned, Gein told investigators that between 1947 and 1952, he had gone to the local graveyard at least 40 times in the middle of the night to dig up recently buried bodies while he was in, like, a daze. 
On about 30 of those visits, he said he came out of the days while in the cemetery, left the grave alone, and went back home without anything. Other times, other times, Mm -mm. he dug up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women he thought resembled his mother and took the bodies home where he tanned their skins to make his stuff. How would he know that they look like his mother if they were buried? Recently buried, so he was probably watching obituaries. Hanging out and, ew. Yeah. Ed admitted to stealing from nine graves from local cemeteries and led investigators to their locations. Um, they, I'm going to pause there because I didn't put this in my notes, I don't think. But they do dig those graves up and find, like, empty graves or mm-hmm. just, you know, like, pieces of shit. You know what I mean? Soon after his mother's death, uh, he had began, he had started to create a woman suit Mm-mm. so he could wear it. Mm-mm. Um he said he did not have sex with the bodies because they smelled too bad. Well, smart. Good thinking out. Though there were parts of countless bodies found in his home, he was arraigned on only one count of murder, Bernice Warden. Mm-hmm. Ed pled not guilty by reason of insanity and was declared unfit to stand trial. He was sent to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Okay. After spending 10 years in the institution, it was determ- Ed was determined competent to stand trial. Uh, it took nine months to pass the, like, suppressing evidence, filing for briefs, all that. The trial started and lasted one week. Mm-hmm. Ed was found guilty of first-degree murder for the shooting of Bernice Warden. But the court also found that on the day of the shooting, Ed was not sane. Mm-hmm. So the court concluded that Ed was not guilty by reason of insanity because even though he might be sane right now, he was insane then. Mm -hmm. Ed was, which I assume has to do with medication, right? Schizophrenia. Yeah. Ed was returned to Central State Hospital. He filed a petition with the, not saying that word, county clerk, (laughs) Washera County Clerk of Courts, claiming that he had now recovered his mental health and was fully competent and there was no reason why he needed to be locked up in any hospital. Oh. What the hell's wrong with you guys? I'm better. Let me out. A judge reviewed Ed's petition and ordered a re-examination. And then it was rejected and he was returned to the hospital. Okay. Get back to where you're supposed to be. In 1978, Ed was moved to Mendota Mental Institution in Madison, Wisconsin. On July 26, 1984, Ed, senile and after a long bout with cancer, died of respiratory failure in the geriatric ward of Mendota, He was considered by many at the hospital to be a model patient, mild-mannered, and always helpful. Ed Gein was laid to rest next to his mother the following day in Plainfield Cemetery. The story of Ed Gein's gruesome activities, particularly uh, his devotion to his dead mommy, strongly influenced Robert Block's 1959 novel Psycho, which was adapted to the big screen the following year by Alfred Hitchcock. Pause to note that... Um, I love my sweet son. He's 12. And last night, I think, yeah, it was last night, I he's like, Mom, can you clip my toenails? I still do shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I went out there, and to the, he's, like, laying on the couch, and I clipped his toenails. And when I got done, I said, um, do you love your mommy? And he said, yeah. And I said, Cersei Lannister who? And Amelia looked right at Ivan and said, Norman Bates who? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's fine. Oh, He's not going to be Ed Gein when he grows up. No. 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 Which was a da- psycho, which was adapted to the big screen the following year. Yeah, we all know that. We've seen it. He was also the inspiration of other uh, movie villains like James Gum from Silence of the Lambs and Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. and the character Dr. Oliver Threadson from American Horror Story Asylum. He has also been referenced in numerous songs over the years, including the song Dead Skin Mask from the Slayer album Seasons in the Abyss and Mud Veins, Nothing to Gain, Gain in 2001. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Did you like that one? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's look at pictures of Ed Gain's stuff. Ed Gain's uh, stuff. Can you just imagine your sweet little grandma just passed away? Naturally, oh. and then you bury her, rest, rest her in peace, and then you find out that this 
insane person. Dug her up. You want to see the nipple belt? Cut her up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. You want it. I don't like that. I mean, I wonder if you found all pink nipples, all brown nipples. Uh, Yeah. You think he did one pink, one brown, one pink, one brown? Yeah, probably. Probably did a little patterning. I wonder if more people have pink ones or brown ones. Look, there's those two are darker. Yeah. There's mine. Uh, you're so funny. I like when they're older because then I don't feel so bad. When the when the murders are from a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. I I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. I did not like that story. No, no. Does it make you want to watch Silence of the Lambs That's and cool. listen to American Girl by Tom Petty? It does. Yeah, actually, 100%. me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Real bad. One hundred percent. That was really good. You did a good job. Thanks. We both did good this week. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Good I like for it. us. Look. Oh. <sighs> I, there's something with skin. Something with the skin. Mm. I don't like it. If you had to have an item, an accessory. Made out of flesh. Made out of skin. Look at Ed Gein. Ooh. Yeah. he's He's got that, like, mean face that I kind of think is kind of hot. Yeah. Maybe not that one. Yeah. yeah. Kind of hot. Yeah. He just looks... I would let him babysit my kids. I know. Ooh. I know. <laughs> I don't like it. Nobody's ever babysitting my children. <laughs> I mean, you bet. You know he'd like rub your shoulders, though. <laughs> he would massage the fuck out of you. Mm. Anyway. And then he'd cut off your nipples. Well, maybe I would like it. <laughs> 